My name is Michał Balcerzak. I am Associate Professor at Nicholas Copernicus University in Torun and University of Szczecin in Poland. And I also have the honor to serve as member and vice chair of the United Nations Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Today's topic and today's lecture is about law and practice of the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination and I would like to offer you a reflection on the legal basis of the committee, its activities, how the committee implements its mandate uh, and uh, I would uh, well like to also tell you about some um, interesting aspects of public international law that uh, appear to be uh, on the agenda of this uh, committee. So let's start then. When it comes to the legal basis, the law of the committee, um, the principle, uh, the main point of reference is, uh, is quite obvious. It's the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. That convention uh, was uh, drafted and opened for signature by the uh, United Nations uh, as early as in 1965. Uh, General Assembly Resolution 2106 of 21st December 1965 so, in essence, it is the first of what we call a core human rights treaties. It opened the era of codification of uh, international human rights law and um, the whole catalogue uh, has been developed uh, since then, of course, and um, this number has, has grown. Uh, we have uh, probably more than 10 core treaties, the additional protocols, etc. So, the um, ICERT Convention was the first in the catalogue so, in a way, it paved uh, the way, so it uh, sets some uh, patterns and sets uh, some examples when it comes to institutional and procedural arrangements, even though uh, each and every human rights treaty has some modalities, um, uh, both institutionally and procedurally speaking. So, the convention, the ISOT convention, entered into force on uh, January 4th, 1969, following the 27th uh, ratification instrument, it was actually preceded by a UN declaration on the elimination of all forms of racial discrimination, as well as some more narrowly targeted anti-discrimination conventions. Um, understandably, um, this convention uh, was actually, uh, to a large extent, influenced by the struggles connected with decolonization and the suppression of uh, segregation and, and apartheid. However, um, its basis remains more complex as it was also drafted with the intention to challenge the rise of anti-Semitism and other forms of discrimination. Um, the Convention uh, condemns all manifestations of racial discrimination and, in fact, um, I will probably not um, try to discuss in detail um, each and every material provision of the Convention, but it's, it is important to, to highlight that in Articles 1 to 7 of the Convention there is a um, this is the um, uh, substantial uh, material part, uh, and um, uh, the, this part entails specific material obligations on the, for the state parties. Uh, it's important to mention that Article 1 of the Convention is a sort of a lighthouse which contains a um, definition of racial discrimination, uh, and um, for the purpose of this Convention, uh, racial discrimination means any distinction, exclusion, restriction or preference, based on race, color, descent, or national uh, or ethnic origin, which has the purpose or effect of nullifying or impairing 
the recognition, enjoyment or exercise on an equal footing of human rights and fundamental freedoms in political, economic, social, cultural or any other field of public life. So, uh, the answer to the question, what is the law of the uh, Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, seems to be quite simple. It is the ISOT Convention. Um, however, um, it's also important to highlight that neither the Convention nor the Committee operate in a vacuum. Uh, they are all part and parcel of um, international uh, legal order. Uh, so, um, even though the ISOT Convention is, uh, let's say, the main and only point of reference when it comes to uh, this is the raison d'être of the um, of the comedy, uh, it needs to be also highlighted that um, other uh, areas of international law remain valid uh, also for the uh, committee's activities. And let me give you two examples. Uh, the committee, as a supervisory body entrusted with certain mandate that I will discuss in a minute, uh, interprets the convention when it exercises its mandate. So the rules of interpretation of international law are extremely important in that regard. So the reference to Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties is uh, natural and obvious in this regard. Uh, equally, mm, uh, the committee, when it exercises its, its mandate, uh, needs to draw conclusions from states' actions uh, or omissions, needs to apply the convention and uh, draw conclusions, so it also deals with the law of state responsibility. And uh, needless to say, uh, um, this also brings me to, mm, to the question of the application of the articles of the International Law Commission on internationally wrongful uh, acts. Um, so. Uh, we should remember that um, uh, the committee is well that applies international human rights law, well in particular the um, ICERT uh, convention. The convention has actually um, never been uh, well uh, modified or, or amended, uh, even though uh, there were some attempts to, to amend it. In, um, there is actually an, an amendment uh, proposed in the beginning of 1990s. Uh, concerning the, fi the finances of the committee, but it has not reached, it has not yet acquired the sufficient number of ratifications. However, um, I would like to just mention that for the last, um, let's say, 13 years, since 2008, uh, there has been also some reflection on the, on the advisability or the necessity to amend the, the convention. And the, the, the state uh, decided, and actually that was the Human Rights Council, in 2007, decided to establish um, a body which is called Ad Hoc Group on the Elaboration of Complementary Standards. Uh, that's an interstate uh, group and um, the uh, principal question is whether or not there are some gaps uh, in the Convention. That's the question that the states needs to answer themselves. The committee um, itself um, does not, uh, well, indicate any, any particular gaps. But I just would like to mention that I think it's of interest that um, some reflection process around the complementarity of, um, of the obligations in the Convention is, uh, is pending. Um, now, uh, let's uh, move to the question of the Committee's uh, practice and how does the Committee exercise its mandate. Because what we understand as mandate are the specific tasks and uh, duties entrusted by the Convention uh, states 
designed um, the committee's mandate in the way the committee has explored that and um, also in a way developed its practice. But we should always remember also when, for instance, um, sometimes a question is asked um, about um, whether or not there are too many treaty bodies, because there are as many as uh, nine treaty bodies in the Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture, so ten altogether. Sometimes a question is asked, is it not too many? But uh, in, in essence, uh, the committees uh, are the effect of states' will. States express their will in the treaties to set up the system of treaty bodies. So, um, well, uh, it is, um, I would say, um, sometimes uh, problematic in terms that uh, some gaps or some overlaps are inevitable, but um, it also needs to be stressed that each committee has a certain area of competence and um, uh, needs to also uh, take uh, due care to ensure that the mandate is um, fulfilled properly. So what is the mandate of the UN Co uh, Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination? There are several activities or several areas of activities uh, that are indicated uh, in the Convention and I would like to discuss them um, perhaps in the order that they appear in the Convention. First of all, Convention, as I said, sets up, or set up the, the committee in Article 8. Um, the third committee uh, has 18 members and uh, the Convention also uh, requires that uh, some geographical distribution um, is, uh, is ensured. Also, I am, uh, it's, it's important also to stress that uh, the gender equality is ensured. Um, at, at present, as of 2022, there are nine male and nine female members and experts of the, of the committee. Um, and um, the first area, the first area of practice, the first area of activities of the committee uh, is um, uh, state reporting and the reviews of state reports. Um, uh, there are no more or less important activities of the committee, no more or less important tasks. So um, this activity is as important as, as others, but it um, occupies as much as, I would say, 80% of the committee's time. Um, well, the solution adopted in the Convention and later followed also in the subsequent um, UN Human Rights Treaties assumes that a state which joins uh, seats to the Convention first submits a preliminary report or initial report and later should um, or actually must uh, submit uh, periodical reports. Uh, well, legally speaking, or technically speaking, the state parties are required to submit such periodical report every two years. However, the, the practice of the committee um, developed towards the direction that this period amounts to four years and some combined reports are submitted. So, in that the committee then acts in this capacity as a subsidiary, uh, sorry, as a um, supervisory body, uh, because um, the essence of the committee's task in this regard uh, is to uh, carefully study the report, analyze it, uh, but also to engage in a, in a dialogue with the state uh, in order to um, ask specific uh, and actually quite numerous questions about state's uh, performance and how state uh, um, implements the Convention. So, this process also developed 
let me again recall that um, the old CERT is the oldest treaty body, and um, the first session of CERT uh, was at the beginning of 1970. Uh, so over five decades of experience allows for some, uh, let's say, um, development uh, and improvement of um, of uh, modus operandi or of the practice. So um, on the very beginning, let's say in the in the 70s, it was not exactly clear how states should um, well, um, draft their reports, and some reports were very uh, broad or very general, uh, or actually mm, uh, the committee also did not have sufficient um, tools to verify uh, whether the contents of the reports was, um, was correct. This developed um, quite substantially, because um, nowadays um, the um, committee um, is prepared, much much better prepared, also to, to ask very detailed sp and specific questions, but um, there is one particular reason why you know, this exercise uh, is, um, I would say, the creme de la creme of the committee's activities. It's the uh, participation of the civil society. Without NGOs, without civil society, it would be really uh, hard to imagine how the process of the review of state reports uh, could uh, succeed. Um, well, uh, to cut a long story short, uh, the review of the report um, is a process that well, starts sometime before the, you know, the sessions of the committee. There are three sessions of the committee uh, per year. Um, the committee um, uh, establishes or appoints uh, a state uh, rapporteur who is in charge of also drafting very specific questions and is in charge of leading the, the what we call interactive dialogue with uh, with states. Delegations of state parties uh, come to Geneva. They uh, participate in this uh, in this process. There are exchanges of views. Uh, detailed questions are asked. Um, and after uh, this um, process, which takes six hours, um, uh, three hours one day, three hours the second day. The committee drafts recommendations, drafts also some conclusions, uh, sometimes specifically underlining the areas of, of special concern and um, expecting the, um, the follow-up, also expecting that the state would provide um, specific explanations or, or undertake certain actions um, as soon as possible. Well, so this activity um, uh, review of state reports uh, could be considered uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, a certain uh, soft procedure. Uh, however, um, sometimes um, good results can be achieved uh, through procedures that are not necessarily judicial. I should have said that uh, on the very beginning that the committee is, is not a judicial body. It has also some procedures that um, are, let's say, um, more legal in a way. Uh, or could resemble the resolution of, um, of disputes. But uh, in essence, this uh, committee, uh, just as other um, treaty bodies in the system, have, has not been entrusted with, with judicial competences. So, state reporting under Article 9 of the Convention is um, the, um, I would say, primary um, occupation of um, the third committee. But there are also um, other areas and also, if we follow the order of um, uh, the articles of, um, of ICERT, the next um, uh, activity or the next um, competence 
of the committee I, I should uh, mention would be um, the examination of interstate communications. And um, this is actually mm, quite interesting for a reason, because the ISAT committee was the first uh, committee um, in the family of uh, UN uh, treaty bodies that has ever had the opportunity to receive and examine interstate communications. These procedures lay dormant for almost 50 years. States were reluctant, re reluctant or unwilling to um, submit interstate uh, communications. Um, there were probably some reasons for that. Um, well, uh, as we know, there are also other fora, other bodies that can um, uh, examine interstate disputes. Uh, some states might understandably prefer to, uh, to follow um, the procedures and to, to go to, to international courts with their disputes. But still, um, uh, the procedures I'm about to, to refer to in a, in a minute uh, are there for a reason. Mm, the drafters on the Convention uh, have, have probably tried to mm, introduce a possibility of, for, for states to come together and discuss a problem before going to an international court. Well, the fact that this procedure has not been used for almost half a century means that the intentions of the drafters uh, well, were, were not fulfilled, probably. But anyway, the, the Articles 11 to 13 of the Convention provide for, for such procedure, and I would like to briefly discuss them now. So, in fact, um, this interstate procedure at ICERT Committee consists of um, several steps. The first one is um, to bring a communication to the attention of the committee if the applicant state considers that the respondent state is not giving effect to a provision of the Convention. And pursuant to Article 11, such a communication needs to be transmitted to the party concerned with the view of obtaining written observations or statements clarifying the matter and possible remedies that may have been taken by the respondent state. So, at the first stage, the third committee fulfills the role of an intermediary uh, and or a facilitator of the dialogue between both states. But there may, there may come a next phase. The next phase may be initiated when the matter is not adjusted to satisfaction of both parties, either by bilateral negotiations or by any other procedure open to them. So, in such circumstances, each of the parties has the right to refer the matter again to the committee, which, in fact, then turns uh, the role of CERT from that of a facilitator of, of, uh, of dialogue to that of a body in charge of establishing a conciliatory commission. So the next step, or the second step, the second um, phase of the interstate procedure leads to um, uh, conciliation. Uh, well, the interstate procedure implies that CERT itself determines whether it has jurisdiction to proceed with the case and uh, ascertains whether all available domestic remedies were um, also uh, invoked and exhausted in the case. However, the role of the plenary committee, 18 members, is in fact uh, restricted to pronouncing on issues of jurisdiction and admissibility, as well as obtaining um, uh, information that it deems necessary. But the further steps, the um, determination of, of the merits, is actually uh, vested um, to the Conciliation Commission, and that's the competence of the chairperson of the committee to 
uh, appoint the Ad Hoc Conciliation Commission with the unanimous consent of the parties. Um, the Conciliation Commission, the Ad Hoc Conciliation Commission, uh, comprises five persons. However, if there is a problem with the consent of the parties to the composition of Conciliation Commissions, then uh, the third committee uh, may elect the, the members of the Conciliation Commission uh, from among its members. Um, and um, then the, the matter uh, well, transfers to, to the competence to the forum of the Ad Hoc Conciliation Commission. Um, the Ad Hoc Conciliation Commission adopts its rules of procedure. And um, in, a, in effect, um, the procedure ends with uh, a report drafted according to Article 13 of the Convention, a report of the Conciliation Commission which uh, should uh, do its best uh, to, to offer well, good offices and to offer uh, its um, abilities you know, to the state parties to ensure that some progress has been achieved. So, um, this procedure is, has been used three times. Uh, in 2018, um, that was a special year because as many as three interstate uh, communications were submitted to the ICERT uh, committee. Two of them were filed by Qatar. Um, the first was against Saudi Arabia, the second against United uh, Arab Emirates. And a bit later, the same year, a third interstate communication was submitted by the State of Palestine against uh, Israel. And uh, as regards the first two uh, interstate communications, well, the first one, uh, all, com all communications led up to uh, led to the uh, setup of conciliation commissions. However, the submission of Qatar against Saudi Arabia has been discontinued due to the fact that the states uh, reached an uh, agreement. The communication of um, Qatar versus United Arab Emirates um, is suspended and there is some disagreement as to the discontinuation or suspension of that uh, procedure. Uh, um, and the third case, the State of Israel, um, the State of Palestine, sorry, against Israel is uh, pending. Uh, and um, the Ad Hoc Conciliation Commission, composed of the five members of, of CERD, um, uh, is, uh, well, dealing with the case um, as of 2022. Um, however, um, I should probably just... Um, uh, refer to the last uh, case, uh, Palestine versus Israel, since um, that case um, also relates to some very uh, interesting um, issues and interesting, I would say, uh, problems of, um, of international law. Uh, the CERT adopted a decision on the, um, uh, on the jurisdiction of, of that case, founding that it has jurisdiction. Um, nevertheless, the problem was that according to the respondent state, according to Israel, um, this state, uh, the CERT, did not have jurisdiction because uh, um, the, um, Israel um, claimed that it, had, uh, it hadn't have uh, any uh, treaty relations with, with Palestine and that has resulted in the lack of jurisdiction. That was not the view of the committee. The committee has not shared that view and it uh, decided that, um, in fact, um, it had uh, jurisdiction. Um, well, um, when it comes to um, that particular conciliation, there is another dilemma that um, should be perhaps mentioned, because uh, Israel um, 
refuses to um, to appear and um, does not uh, seem to be willing to participate in the conciliation proceedings. The problem is that traditionally in international law uh, conciliation is uh, considered to be a form of um, well voluntary engagement of a state in the in the procedure. It is um, in fact uh, hard to invite uh, hard to achieve much if you invite states to the same table and uh, try uh, to um, find some some solutions. Uh, whereas one of the states is not willing to, to sit at this table. But uh, in fact, um, in this particular case, the Ad Hoc Conciliation Commission will, will need to um, uh, draft a, a report with some recommendations. So this is uh, an example of something that we could uh, call an enforced um, conciliation. That's uh, basically um, what, uh, what is happening. Uh, it is hard to say when this um, conciliation proceedings will come to, to an end, but uh, obviously, um, uh, well, uh, there, mu there must be some um, progress, I hope, uh, also in this, in this regard. So, the interstate uh, procedures um, were first of their kind, because um, previously no other committee, no other UN committee had um, any experience with um, these this procedures. It is hard to say whether um, this initial communications, interstate communications, would really result in some uh, in, in further uh, interest in, in the interstate communications. Time, time will tell. But I think it's also important to, to follow this, these developments because um, it could uh, be the case that um, states might have uh, might be um, might find a, find it useful uh, in a way um, to uh, use the services of uh, of UN treaty bodies and in this particular case the third committee to uh, submit um, their uh, communications. There's one important aspect that um, should be also mentioned in this regard. Contrary to other committees, I mean. Um, there are altogether seven UN treaty bodies that have this possibility to um, receive and examine interstate communications. But the third is the only one where this competence does not need to be um, additionally recognized by state parties. So, in other words, the um, Articles 11 to 13 uh, um, are, in a way, automatically binding and um, the competence of the um, CERT uh, committee does not require any specific uh, additional action uh, on the part uh, of um, the states uh, involved. Uh, that is the difference, actually, between the interstate procedure and individu individual communication procedure. And I would like now to turn to Article 14 of the Convention, which deals with the competence of, of uh, CERT to receive and examine individual communications. Uh, in essence, among the current 182 member uh, state parties to, to the ICERT, uh, 59 of them recognized the competence of the committee to receive individual communications, so a bit less than one-third. Um, and um, 
The reasons for that, why only one-third of states recognized that competence, the reasons are probably manifold. Um, the thing is that um, for, uh, for some states, um, ICERT convention entails uh, both legal and, and political commitments, but also it could be the case that um, generally um, also lack of information about individual complaints procedure might be a factor. Also, for some states, um, uh, it could be uh, an argument that um, they submitted themselves to the jurisdiction of some regional courts, like the European or the Inter-American Courts of Human Rights. Mm, so, some states would claim that uh, the jurisdiction of uh, the UN treaty body, or the CERT here, would not be mm, uh, necessary. But nevertheless, um, I believe that the competence of, um, of, this, of CERT to uh, receive and examine individual communications is an um, extremely important part of its mandate, um, despite the fact that so far um, around just around 70, more or less 70 um, opinions were uh, delivered on individual cases. Um, however, um, it's not only about the, the number of cases. I think the general idea is that when the state recognizes the competence of a treaty body to receive and examine communications, this, I think, indicates that it considers its um, obligations very seriously and is ready, stands ready also mm, to, um, to this scrutiny uh, when it comes to individual uh, claims. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, third committee is not a court, it's not a judicial body, even though uh, this question sometimes arises uh, whether or not examination of individual complaints could be regarded as a quasi-judicial exercise. Well, um, this is actually quite important, quite, quite interesting also from the international perspective, because um, there's no doubt that um, CERT has no strictly judicial competences. But if we look at it, um, the examination of individual uh, case um, results in an opinion, results in an opinion adopted by the plenary committee. And again, opinion is not a ruling. Opinion is, is not a judgment. Uh, still, uh, the conclusion of every opinion consists in finding or not finding a violation uh, of, the, of the convention. Uh, it is an opinion again, but it, in a way, determines um, it uh, expresses the view of the third committee as to the state responsibility for a particular um, uh, act or omission. So, um, this view is expressed uh, following uh, examination of the facts of the case. The facts sometimes need to be established. The state is obviously also offered to comment uh, on the and to express their position, they submit their observations on, on the case. Um, then also, the, so the committee over the years has developed, uh, I would say, uh, um, quite substantial jurisprudence uh, on many aspects of the, of the Convention, uh, which might resemble, uh, in a way, um, the, uh, well, case law. Uh, but still, um, it needs to be uh, stressed that um, this particular competence, this particular uh, area um, of the CERT activities 
is restricted by the number of states that have ratified the uh, that, that have expressed um, their consent under Article 14. Uh, the Third Committee always encourages states, for instance, also during the um, dialogue and during um, uh, the review of state reports. Uh, states are always encouraged to, um, to consent to this jurisdiction. Uh, well, the number of uh, states uh, that which uh, accept um, jurisdiction of the committee gradually rises, but still I think it's not satisfactory that it's only one-third. Um, there should be more um, acceptance of committee's jurisdiction in this regard. So, Article 14 has been uh, also uh, can be considered as a quite important part of, uh, of the committee's uh, mandate. And also, since I've been discussing the court, the search um, activities um, in the domain of uh, individual individual communications, I should mention that from time to time the third committee prepares a certain compilation or certain um, let's say, um, a comment about its own uh, activities. Uh, it collects recommendations on a in a specific area and it is drafted as a so-called general recommendation. Um, there are 36 general recommendations as of today. Sometimes they deal with specific articles of the Convention and sometimes they deal with a specific problem. For instance, the latest uh, general recommendation, number 36, um, deals with uh, racial profiling uh, and racial discrimination that is um, the result of that. Uh, in fact, um, I should also say that uh, currently, as of 2022, the third committee um, started to work on uh, another general recommendation concerning the right to health uh, in the context of racial discrimination. Um, there is also another part of um, uh, the committee's activities that I would like to mention now, because so far the, the three areas, the three, um, let's call it components of um, the search uh, um, mandate were explicitly um, uh, derived from the convention itself. There is, however, another area of the search activities that has not been um, expressly provided uh, by the Convention. Uh, however, it uh, results from um, the, com the, the Committee's um, decision to develop its practice in the area of prevention and rapid reaction to situations that may lead to the violation of the Convention. And I refer here to the so-called early warning and urgent action. Um, procedures. Early warning and urgent actions procedures were the result of um, this reflection from the beginning of 1990s. Uh, that this reflection has been also um, developed at the General Assembly. There was um, General Assembly Resolution 47-120 of 18 December 1992, where the General Assembly emphasized the need for all organs and bodies of, of the United Nations to intensify their efforts to strengthen the organization's role um, in preventive diplomacy. And so uh, there was much encouragement to develop some ways to act 
preventively, preemptively. It's always better to prevent than to deal with violations uh, of human rights. Um, and also, I think the concern of the of um, well stakeholders at that time uh, was that uh, sometimes the procedures, despite best efforts and despite the uh, um, uh, the goodwill of uh, those involved, uh, the procedures sometimes are slow. Um, the committee was not able to respond rapidly. So that has changed to a large extent. And um, uh, for the last three decades, the committee developed um, some methodology in dealing with cases requiring immediate attention. Um, uh, cases where uh, there is some immediate risk, um, uh, there's a situation that can potentially lead to very serious violations of the Convention or, situ or situations where violations are happening and some rapid action should be also uh, taken. There is a list of indicators, uh, quite a long list of situations um, that uh, may, may result in, uh, um, in the uh, triggering of these uh, procedures. And um, quite um, uh, importantly, the committee's uh, competences in that regard, of course, uh, um, are also, uh, well, have, have their limits. But the committee may uh, trigger different kinds of measures mm, when such a situation is brought to its attention. A situation which potentially, as I said, mm, uh, may be very urgent or a situation that, that may require some rapid reaction. So, uh, in th those kinds of situations, um, there is a special working group mm, set up, a permanent uh, working group comprised of uh, five members, it meets intercessionally as well, and always when, when there is need. Um, and um, uh, that um, working group uh, tries to recommend to the plenary committee um, some urgent actions. Uh, there could be uh, letters sent to, to states um, concerned. There could also be um, some decisions made um, that are later published and um, the, the situation is brought to the attention of, uh, of the public. The um, uh, search activities in that regard can also uh, imply or can also result in, a, in a, even a statement or, or resolution to be, be adopted. Uh, as a matter of fact, the search committee is, is currently also trying to reflect on the improvement of that um, procedure of, of its working methods, um, which brings me to this um, general reflection that these five decades of the operation of CERT uh, allow for some constant uh, reflection and, and improvement, and this is happening. For instance, um, also it's, it's quite recent that CERT engaged into um, some um, uh, process um, of review of its rules of procedure. Article 10 of ICERT entitles the CERT Committee to adopt its own rules of procedure. They have been adopted in the 1970s, then slightly amended, but um, as a matter of fact, um, it's been uh, a long time since uh, there, there was such a review. And it's quite important because, um, well, realities change. Sometimes also the, 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 there come new challenges. And it's important that um, the committee is able to um, appropriately shape its response, its, its working um, uh, methodology, etc. So um, a lot is happening now when it comes to 
um, the shaping the procedural uh, platform uh, and improving that. Um, apart from that, I should also uh, mention that uh, well, the, the third committee is um, obviously also involved in some uh, networking or uh, establishing and maintaining relations with um, other stakeholders, um, both inside and outside United Nations. I have already mentioned that um, the um, NGOs, the uh, civil society, are indispensable and they are considered really uh, um, uh, very close uh, allies of the convention and the cause. But I should also say that, um, generally speaking, committee is also um, trying to um, exercise its functions in close collaboration with uh, uh, stakeholders such as um, um, special procedures of the Human Rights Council, especially those which are directly um, set up to, to deal with uh, questions of um, racism, racial, racial discrimination, xenophobia and related um, intolerance. As a special rapporteur on uh, contemporary forms of racism, there's also a working group of experts on people of African descent, and uh, these uh, stakeholders are also play a very important role um, in in that regard. Um, so um, yes, it's it's quite important that the committee is uh, not considered a, uh, an isolated island. It, it needs to also cooperate with other bodies and uh, other uh, stakeholders. So, um, I will try to, to sum up um, uh, what I have just said in, in a few uh, words. Um, the CERT is mm, the guardian of the Convention. Uh, the CERT committee is entrusted in specific tasks concerning supervision of states' performance. It may exercise also its mandate uh, when it comes to interstate uh, and individual communications. But I think it's very important to uh, remember that the Convention, the ICERT Convention, should be considered a, a living instrument. It's a phrase, in a way, in a way borrowed from um, the uh, European system of, of human rights. Uh, but it's, I think, quite rightly uh, and adequately also, uh, uh, well, it, it fits to, to ICERT Convention as well. Um, the um, Realities, the contemporary challenges uh, require that um, the, uh, the CERT uh, interprets the Convention in also in the light of uh, modern conditions. Um, this is what, what CERT is, uh, is trying uh, to do, while remembering that uh, its task is uh, obviously uh, difficult, giving also some uh, very disturbing phenomena in the contemporary world concerning the rise of some racial tensions, um, given some specific manifestations also of um, racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia and uh, related intolerance. But however, there is always, um, well, some hope that um, change can be brought by um, when, 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 when only uh, the committee is uh, given the chance to, to do so. Um, there are, well, just three sessions and only 18 members, there is a huge workload. There are, unfortunately, there is a queue of state reports. Um, there is a backlog. Some states uh, submit their reports with considerable delays. There is a list of states that um, we always, well, encourage to, 
to recall about their obligations to submit reports. So there are obstacles, there are hurdles, but the third committee um, is doing uh, what it can, is doing its best to uh, fulfill its mandate uh, in a proper way um, and apply the, the law that is the International Law of Human Rights and in particular the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. I thank you for your attention.